from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is the audio-only version of our recent webcast, What is a Red Team Anyway?, with BHIS tester Dakota Nelson and John Strand. Enjoy! The, uh, the gloriously titled, How many pen test types could a pen testing firm sell if a pen testing firm could sell pen tests? I'm only going to say it the once because I don't want to push my luck. Uh, but basically what we're going to talk about today is what exactly the different types of, of pen tests that we do and we work on uh, are and what you should be thinking about when you're getting one. We see a lot of clients who have some confusion about what's going to be really useful for them and hopefully this will clear it up a little bit. So we see a lot of different tests in the industry and they've been prolif- proliferating really quickly. Um, so you've got your red teams, standard issue, you got your purple teams, uh, you got your black teams, you got your hunt teams. Honestly, I'm pretty shocked no one's trying to sell like a rainbow team yet. If anyone wants a rainbow team, we'll come up with one. Let me know. I think it'd be fun to sell one just to say we have. But this leads to a lot of problems in that you really want to get the right test. Um, and getting the wrong test can be a pretty big detractor from getting actually really good, useful value out of your pen test. Um, and we don't do that, you're a sad customer. And then when we have sad customers, it's sad us. Um, like as a pen tester, it's really, really sad to see a customer that you know got a test that wasn't perhaps the most useful for them because we, we really want you guys to like have a good time out of your test and get some really useful information out of it and come out of that going like, wow, that was really helpful and we can go fix some stuff now, awesome. So I started thinking when I had this webcast available, like what can I do to help this uh, to help this along? We don't see it very often where a customer gets a bad test or gets a wrong test rather, but like zero is better than few. Like let's push it in that direction. And let's be honest though, like usually whenever that does happen, I mean, part of the reason why we're doing this webcast is it's because the communication up front wasn't correct. It's like, we run a pen test. And then you're like, whoa, 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 wait. I thought a pen test was running Nessus. And you're like, no, or- they, Oh, they, we were- going to yeah. do actual tests? Did you just want a vulnerability scan or? Yeah. So we work really hard to make sure that's taken care of up front, but we find that, you know, having a webcast that we can send them a, a helpful link to actually goes a long way as well. Absolutely. And our business team works really, really hard to make sure that they actually talk with the client and, and work out what exactly is the right test. It's pretty rare that we have a test that's like, oh, they should have gotten a blank. And even then, because we're such a small company, usually the testers are like, what if we just did a other test? And then the client's like, sure. And then we do that and it works out really well. But hopefully this webcast will save the business team some time at some point and that would be neat. Plus I got to say rainbow team. So what we found is that a lot of this, it's like uh, it's like a pyramid as you move up the different kinds of tests that we've got. Um, so we've got you know your classic security pyramids uh, with classic security issues. Um, so whenever we're talking about the pyramid of needs, the hierarchy of needs at a core level, Everybody needs certain things. And what Dakota has on his slide is the core level of what we all need is Wi-Fi and high-speed internet. Then we're gonna move up one tier to things that aren't quite as necessary. So what's that, Dakota? Uh, That's like physiological stuff, like food, water, shelter, warmth. These are the things that you want satisfied after you've got Wi-Fi and high-speed internet. Yeah, And of course, (laughs) safety. things that matter less and less, you know, like belonging and love. So safety. Yeah. We don't want to be eaten by bears or hacked by the Russians. So that's safety. They'll be long. Hacked eaten by bears. By bears. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> roar, Putin. Roar. So anyway, these are just some other pyramids that I thought were comical and lead into the pyramid that I'm about to show you after this 
momentary pause for a drum roll. Introducing the BHS pen test pyramid. Um, so this basically gives you a lot of the different tests that we offer uh, in what I think is comical, interesting, fun uh, infographic that gives you an idea of, of how our different tests sort of stack on top of each other as your security program matures. And just for the record, you are absolutely going to call out every single troll on the internet because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but every 24 hours, there's some jackass <laughs> that has to define what a pen test is and what a red team is. And then has to call other people out for getting it wrong. So this is our take on it, and I think it actually works. So go ahead. If your red team doesn't have like a double backflip off a trampoline, not a red team. Sorry, I don't make yeah, them. It's just yeah. yeah. If you're not doing a giant into a double tuck, really, really why point. try? So. <laughs> so at the very bottom, you've got your sort of I don't want to say surface level stuff because we still dig in a lot here, but it's the sort of stuff that gets you started. Um, so doing like vulnerability scans, doing wireless penetration tests, looking at your CIS security controls, testing your web apps, uh, doing reconnaissance on your company, like external and internal penetration tests, all the kind of stuff that can really get you good results right off the bat, uh, no matter where your security program is at. A lot of these are things that organizations can do themselves, right? I mean, yep. when we're talking like uh, from this point up, that's where you'd bring in a third party for checking on that, looking into it. But there's absolutely no reason why your organization can't do efficient data exfiltration uh, for the MITRE attack framework. You should be doing these things internally on a very regular basis. Yep, and they're at the bottom of the pyramid because they're foundational. Uh, these are the things that all of the rest of the stuff is really built upon. Um, and then as you move up, you start to get to the more advanced stuff. Um, you get to like pivot tests, hunt teams, uh, physical penetration tests, moving up to purple teams, and then red teams at the very top of the pyramid. Um, and we'll get to what exactly all these things mean and have that long, fun argument later on. But just want to give you some caveats before we roll too far into this. Uh, first off, the pyramid is just a guide, right? Like like all vastly simplifying infographics, uh, you should do your own threat modeling. Your priorities might vary, and this changes from client to client, and even you know f between your company, it might change over time. Um, so this is just a guide. Please don't stick <laughs> to it too closely. Um, uh, and then secondly, we offer a lot more things. Uh, this is not like a list of all of the assessment types that we offer or all the assessment types that exist. This is not just BHIS. There's a bunch of companies that do these things as well. So these are the things that you would basically sit down and work with an outside firm, which doesn't always have to be BHIS, but we prefer it when it is. But no, all good firms will do these things as well. Absolutely. And then there's a lot of stuff that applies just all along the pyramid. There's some things that aren't on the pyramid because they're kind of at every step. A lot of that involves just sort of sitting down and thinking about the controls you've got in place. And lastly, this is not a license to shirk. Um, so as you move up the pyramid, if you're doing like pivot tests, that doesn't mean you don't do vulnerability scans anymore. Um, you should still be doing them regularly, looking at them. And like John said earlier, you can absolutely be doing those in-house. You start bringing more and more things in-house as you move up the pyramid and as your security program matures. But you know the, the analogy I use here is like, washing your hands and showering, right? Like washing your yeah. hands is maybe the very bottom of the pyramid. Changing yeah. underwear daily, yeah, you still have exactly. to do that. You're like, no, 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 it's cool, I, I washed my hands. No, it doesn't make any difference no. in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. And I like that not a license to shirk because we do actually get customers periodically who like see something like this. They're like, well, we just wanna go straight to the red team. And it's not 
really the best approach. And and the other thing about every single component that's on this pyramid with red team, the purple team, the pivot test, I know it's tongue in cheek, it's a pyramid, right? But the thing that's important about all of this is the goal of every single component that's listed here is to exercise the blue team, to make sure the blue team is doing things correctly, that they can detect these, these different uh, like attacks that are happening. You shouldn't look at any of these and uh, look at the red team and say, well, we hired Dakota and Dakota hacked us, therefore we suck. That's not the point. The point is at what point can you actually detect, you know, Dave Kennedy? What can you, when can you detect Kevin Johnson? It's all about exercising that blue team and trying to make them better at their jobs as well. One of our great guest blog, blog posts a couple of weeks ago said there's, there's no way to fail a pen test uh, unless you just don't look at the results and don't take any action based on them. Other than that, there's, there's like no failing here. Whatever you've done, whatever level you're at, the pen test informs you. And if you use that information and if you, if you build off of it, then like two thumbs up, you're going to have no problem from us. So with these caveats aside, we'll roll right into the sort of pen tester's view of the different levels of the pyramid. So you've got our friendly, smiling pen tester here. As you know, all pen testers have perfectly circular heads. And when you're looking at the lowest level, phishing assessments, C2 data exfiltration, mobile app pen test, network device config, internal audit, uh, internal external penetration test, ran by the internal team, right? Vulnerability scans, wireless penetration tests, CIS critical security controls, black hat recon, black hat style recon, web application pen test. So these are like the good, like these are the equivalent of washing your hands and taking a shower every day. This is the level at which usually there's more low hanging fruit. And this is the level at which, you know, when we first come in and we find vulnerabilities, you know, occasionally see criticals here, some highs, you tend to see more issues here for the, the clients who are at this level. That doesn't mean like we're going to just roll in and hack them. But generally, this is an area where they have slightly less mature security programs and you see more things. This is stuff that organizations should be doing on a regular basis, like phishing assessments. Dakota, I would say organizations should be phishing once a month, correct? Oh, absolutely. If not more. Yeah. And C2 data exfiltration, I don't think that needs to be done every month, but I think it helps to pull down like the MITRE attack techniques matrix and look at the command and control techniques listed there and test to see what you can detect. I would say at least twice a year, check for updates. I would say if there's any big changes, absolutely then too. If you re-architect your network yeah. a little bit or you introduce some new appliance or some new policy that you think will change it, just do a quick retest and see if, see if you've made things worse or better or stay the same. So mobile app penetration test. Now that one's interesting. Would you include like just kind of sticking, would you consider the pen test part of that to be part of developers doing their own OWASP testing um, throughout the software development lifecycle? Or do you look at that as something being done by the security team or would there be two different components doing developer audits of their own code and the pen test being done by the security team? Either way, it should be done on a regular basis. It should be done almost constantly. But yep. do you look at those as two separate things or can that be rolled into one broader category? I think you could totally roll those together. Um, later on in the presentation, we'll get to sort of what I think of each level's objectives and, and how to define each level. But yeah, I think absolutely you, you could roll those in and do either component or both, uh, whatever really gets you to your objective, right? And if that means you can train all your developers in security and have them sort of self audit and do good code reviews, that's awesome, please yeah. do that. But also sometimes that's not cost effective and you wanna have a specialized security team who can come in and poke holes in things. And whether that's in your company or outside, maybe that's a better option for you. Yep. So I, I look at all of this as just that daily auditing, that, or not daily, but that continuous auditing an organization should do as that foundational level. And it's it's well and good, you know, for for mobile apps or web apps to to do them once a year, and that's awesome and great. But if you make changes and you're developing things all year, then you might reintroduce bugs uh, partway during the year and then not catch them until the next year rolls around. 
And it's still, that's going to be better than not ever testing. You know, there's still foundational issues that we can catch and you can fix and won't be reintroduced, but it's not going to be as good as having someone take a look at this regularly in order to fix things. So as you move up the pyramid, you know, your pen testers are still like, oh, I, I still have the chance to hack some things here. When you get to like your pivot test, your hunt team, your physical penetration test, your incident response tabletop, this is where we start seeing slightly more mature customers. And we've worked out some of the major issues. And so it's it's a little harder to find problems here. You know, we go in for a pivot test and uh, generally we see that the clients we're doing pivot tests on have things fairly locked down. And we got to start looking a little bit harder to find these issues. And then as you move further up the pyramid to like the purple team, you're, you're kind of like, oh, I hope I can still hack some things. Like by the time we're getting to a purple team, usually the clients, it's pretty well locked down. Um, and we're really having to work, but I'm gonna put in more time to find issues that are that are worth uh, you know, writing up and getting fixed. This is one of those areas, uh, talking about other firms, uh, SpectreOps does a fantastic job of this. Uh, they basically embed, they work with teams for a long period of time, and uh, they're constantly exercising that blue team to make sure that the alerts actually line up with what's going to come next. And did you say, Dakota, the pyramid of pain is more pain for us if it's oh, done yeah. correctly than it is, yeah, than the customer? For sure. And then as you move up to the top of the pyramid, uh, to the red team, like this is the most painful for pen testers, right? This is the point at which for some of our customers, we'll just bang our heads against the wall for weeks and we'll get a couple findings out of the very end. But sometimes it is really hard for us to get findings because this is where clients tend to be really locked down and really good. Red teams are really fun because of that, but they also take longer. What's the gist of each layer? Uh, what are our objectives on each layer? What are we trying to do here? Uh, what's really the, the purpose of each? And I think it's a little bit silly to talk about these various types of assessments in terms of we're going to do X, Y, Z, and that's exactly it. And I think it makes a lot more sense to talk about our objectives. So let's go through each layer and, and see what we're trying to do on each one. So when you go to the bottom layer, which again is like a phishing assessment, C2 and data exfiltration, mobile app pen test, web app pen test, external internal penetration test, that whole group of, uh, of vulnerability scanning, that, that early stage of assessments, you've kind of got four big priorities here. Uh, the first one is breadth. You want to scan everything, right? At this point, you're not necessarily drilling down on one big issue. You want to take a look at your whole attack surface and see what's there. Um, you might not know even what systems are on your network at this point, uh, and that's fine, and we can get a good start on that. Um, so we want to take a look at everything and see what we can find. The second thing is prioritization. Uh, we want to help you triage. Again, at this point, there, we tend to see that clients have more issues, um, and it's a thing where you might not have the resources to be able to fix them all, uh, especially when you start getting down into like low informational findings. Sometimes you just don't have the resources to prioritize to get those fixed right away. And so we, as uh, you know, the consultants coming in, or you as an internal team, want to make sure at this point to, to put in a big emphasis on prioritization to help the people who are going to be fixing this triage what issues are actually really worth spending their time on right away and what they need to prioritize. Uh, thirdly, our metrics. We want to be able to measure your progress at this point. Again, since you're just getting started on uh, sort of moving through these types of assessments, this is a stage where it's really important to get those metrics set up and start really looking at them and be able to see improvement and make decisions about whether or not you're actually implementing policies that are really helping overall or whether you're just sort of spinning your wheels uh, and you know every time a pen test comes back around, it's just a bunch of issues over again. And those um, metrics are hard too, right? I mean... So really if you're looking at 20 critical controls, uh, we broke uh, the website for audit scripts, uh, James and Kelly Tarala from Enclave a while ago. I'll try to pull that link down and share it with everybody here in just, uh, just a few moments. But uh, having that spreadsheet to be able to track your overall numeric score across the controls is great. But then how do you track your success for vulnerability reports? Is it just the criticals and highs that have been remediated? Maybe, yep. maybe. 
uh, wireless pen tests. I, I don't know how you would track those metrics there. Uh, phishing assessments, that, that one's pretty easy, right? How many people click the damn link? That's, that's simple. C2 and data exfiltration, when you do that, I think that some of these have very clearly defined metrics, but others are a lot more difficult to actually work through. So one of the things I think is key when you're talking that metrics with is the prioritization that you just talked about, because then it'll let you know which ones are actually ones that need to get addressed before the others, but don't always expect there to be a, a key performance indicator for everything that you do, because it, it may not be there. Yep, and one of the things that we try to do very early on in the executive summary is is put in sort of an overall risk rating. Uh, the, the tester or testers looked at, at whatever it was we were testing and said, this is probably a high risk, medium risk, low risk, like where along the spectrum does this fall? And we think that's really, really helpful for our clients to be able to sort of get a, a first level metric. But at the same time, that's a very subjective one, right? Uh, that's something that your tester has, has, based on the time that they took and looked at it, decided that this is probably you know, very risky or not that risky at all, where, where it lies. And so even though that's a very soft metric, we find that that's a really good start. And it's something we try to really help clients out with and you know, it's at least a step. And then this is also just fundamental hygiene is our priority at this level. Again, back to the washing hands thing, uh, this is a really good place to start putting in policies and really getting into habits that are gonna last and be good for the whole way up. You know, this is this is the stuff to really get, get into those good habits and go from there. So yeah, your priorities at the lowest level are just breadth, you wanna scan everything, look at your whole attack surface. Prioritization to help you triage what issues are really worth taking a look at right now. Uh, metrics to try and at least get started measuring your progress, and then also fundamental hygiene, just to get those good habits and policies in place and get them rolling so that they'll last you as you go on. When we move up to the second layer, so this is like the pivot test, the hunt team, physical penetration test, or incident response tabletop, you start having different priorities, although they're actually pretty similar. It's the sort of the, the similar four ones. The first one is depth in this case. You've already sort of hit the breadth on the first layer, and at this point you wanna start digging deeper into specific points to find exceptions. You should at this point have pretty good policies in place that across the spectrum are keeping you fairly secure. They're keeping the big low hanging fruit fixed and you've got that out of the way. And now you're moving into something like a pivot test where we're saying, is there a way we can go from A to B where B is usually domain admin or something where we've, we've compromised your entire network? What are the exceptions that let us get through to that? At this point, you know, we're not just like, oh, we're gonna go easily from A to B to C to D, like done. Usually at this point, we're finding exceptions and edge cases where your policies aren't tuned quite right and they're still letting us in. And also, you're starting to look at the interrelation and the complexity of a network, right? So below, you're looking at the individual components in and of themselves, the network configurations, the wireless configurations, um, you know, vulnerability assessments. But whenever you start doing that pivot team, right, when you start moving around the environment or even doing a hunt team, then you're finally starting to look at your organization in that, that complexity. Like you said, and pivot is a great example because you may have a medium vulnerability here, another medium vulnerability over here, and then you couple those together and then you can actually pivot to get to get to domain administrator. So it's that you're starting to interrelate and tie that complexity and it really comes to fruition in the purple team here in just a little bit. Yep. And you know, if your pivot test is like, oh, we found uh, you know, eternal blue on your domain controller pivot test over, then like that wasn't probably a great pivot test, right? That's the kind of thing that could have been turned up with a vulnerability scan. And so we start seeing that, that we want to get those things cleared out before we move up to the second level. So other than depth and finding exceptions, you start to see prioritization here. This again becomes, where can you make policies that have the biggest impact? Because again, every sort of policy that you implement in your company has a cost. It's got some effort involved with it, even if it's just writing it and getting it implemented. And you would find here, like how can you prioritize these policies to remove those exceptions that you're finding here? 
again, you've got the broad policies across the across the board here from the first layer that should pretty well be keeping you in security, like good stuff. You should have good passwords, maybe some multi-factor authentication on key systems. At this point, it becomes how can we target our policies and prioritize them to really, really have the most impact per policy that we're implementing? Where are these exceptions that we can corner off? It comes to metrics again. Um, you're now probably starting to get into more of a continuous security type process, and you want to have metrics to, to take a look at that and figure out what sort of policy impacts you can have when you're doing this work, and also how, just how you're doing. Again, metrics are still complicated, but we can start to further develop. And then lastly, this is more enforcement and validation. The first layer put you in a pretty good position as far as policies that have you uh, with your security sort of in place. You've got all those policies. They should be rolling. At this level, we're starting to make sure whether or not they're enforced. Um, so back to the password policy uh, concept. At the first layer, you should put a password policy in place. At the second layer, on like a pivot test, we're finding accounts that maybe aren't conforming to the password policy for whatever reason. And this is really those exceptions and that sort of enforcement and validation where you've got the policies in place, are they working? So at this level, we sort of see that you're you're looking for depth, trying to find exceptions. You're trying to prioritize the policies you're putting in place. You're still developing your metrics. And the, really the key focus here is on enforcing and validating the policies that you've already got in place. And we move up to the purple team. You again have similar four priorities. Uh, the first one is depth. You're still trying to find extremes here. Um, so whereas before you were looking for sort of edge cases or corner cases, things that your policies didn't quite cover, the purple team starts to get into the realm of finding the really weird stuff where you can chain two or three mediums together, like John said, or you can chain some things that didn't seem to be a problem in isolation, and suddenly they become a problem when, when a tester puts them together. You're really trying to dig in deep here and find those extremes and help the purple team out in finding those extremes, thinking about them and figuring out ways to remediate them and detect them. You're also looking at validation here. Um, so again, you're trying to look at the prioritization that you're doing in-house and validate whether or not that's actually accurate when applied against an attacker. So at this point, you, you've got a blue team in-house that should be pretty good, right? That's who we're working with. And so you've got this sort of validation, or you've got this prioritization internally where you're starting to look through issues and you're starting to get them fixed and you've got a team working on that. And having a, a red team come in to work with you is really good validation of those things. And this is where we're really looking at the blue team, sort of getting them tuned, getting them trained so that they can think, yeah, that was as big an issue as we thought, or wow, we didn't think that would be an issue, and it actually was. And this is where, where blue teams start to really, really get that good experience working with a red team and be able to validate the priorities that they've already got uh, in their minds. Thirdly, this again becomes more of a validation of metrics. At this point, you've probably got your own in-house metrics that you're using to measure the effectiveness of your security program and, and sort of an overall look at you know, vaguely how secure you are as best metrics can do that. And at this point, again, working with a red team helps you validate those metrics. Uh, you've already got them, you're already measuring them, but if you have a red team come in and blow things apart, then suddenly you might be able to take a, a second look at your metrics and be like, these maybe aren't the metrics that we wanted. Maybe we should take a look at, at these ones over here. Uh, again, Purple Team comes a lot down to validating the processes and policies that you've already got in place internally, um, really comparing them against a red team and, and seeing how they do. And then lastly, here is skill development. This is really the, the key of the Purple Team, as John or any of the testers will tell you, is just we really, really want the blue team to come away from this with more skills than they had before, as many more skills as possible. And it's really a lot about training here. Uh, we're really wanting the purple team to take a look at the attacks coming in, sit with us, uh, take a look at how things are working, and get that, that experience against an adversary. All right, so at the purple team level, you're really looking for extremes. You're going for depth. 
you're trying to prioritize, uh, you're trying to validate the priorities that you've already got in-house. Same with the metrics. You've already got those in-house. You're trying to validate them against an adversary. And then you're really trying to develop the, the blue team skills. You're trying to hone them into a, a really finely tuned team that's going to do a great job against adversaries. All right, now we move up to the red team level. And this is actually the exact same set of priorities. Uh, they don't really change at all. The big difference between uh, the purple team and the red team is how much information is going to the blue team versus how much uh, they're sort of deducing themselves and then checking against us later. Um, so when you're at the purple team level, there's a certain chance that if you just are you know, red teaming freely, the, the blue team might miss some things. Uh, and so you wanna be able to, to be there and really help them out as they go through that experience and, uh, and build them into a better team. By the time you get to a red team, You've got a blue team who's already maybe been through a few purple teams. They're already skilled, they're already experienced, and they can sort of do their own thing and then check with you later rather than sort of continuously making sure that they know what's going on uh, as you're going through. So they can come back at the end and say, here's what your attacks look like to us. Did we miss anything? Uh, as opposed to being like, okay, and what was that? Cool, awesome, that's what that looks like, good. Jason's got a question. He said, are purple team exercises done blind? I would say the vast majority of time, we don't do those blind. We actually work very closely with the blue team hand in hand, right? Absolutely. By the time you get to blind, that's more of a red team thing um, where you're trying to make sure that your security team is like really up to, not up to the task, but is really uh, like tuned against an adversary, against someone who's really coming in blind sort of in the quote unquote real world scenario. Um, the purple team is much more like like your standard education, right? Like you don't learn math by someone just handing you a page full of, of algebra or calculus and being like, here, do this, right? You learn it by someone being with you and, and helping you out as you work your way through it. That's much more a purple team. Uh, whereas by the time you also, get to a red team, that is someone just handing you the sheet of, of calculus and being like, here, you can check this with me later, but first you got to do it on your own. And uh, we just had Mark asked a very interesting question. He said, any point of having a purple team, red team at lower levels of the pyramid, maybe to identify the gaps in the blue team tools or just wait. And it's interesting, usually when we do that, and I, I hear more of, more of this on the like pre-sales engineering side, it's more often than not done to create a proof of need for management. So basically management says, security's fine, everything's good. I mean, how bad could it actually be? And they refuse to start investing in vulnerability scans or pivot tests or hunt teams or any of those things. And the, somehow they hear about a red team. They're like, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Because management resonates with the idea of, uh, let, let's see if they can hack us. Let's see how, let's see yeah. how good they are. And yeah. that never ends well. I mean, it always ends great. I should say it never ends well because the red team is successful, very, very, very successful. But usually what happens, the security administrators, they come to us and they're like, thank you. Management now yep. understands we've got to go back to the bottom of the pyramid. So it's more political than it is actually saying technically this is the way things always should be done. Um, and that's a key point. You know, flexibility is always, always essential to everything that we do. Uh, we aren't always going to say, well, sorry, you've got to work your way up the pyramid of pain. You know, we're, yep. we're happy to work with people and find out specifically what they want as well. And definitely there's there's still you know value that you can get out of every level of the pyramid no matter where you're at on it right it's just a the more you're going to be matched up with with your level or your maturity in the process uh the better you're going to get of a test but that doesn't mean that like a pivot test isn't useful if you've never had any kind of pen testing before you're still going to find things still going to be interesting it's just we're going to be diving for depth and then you're going to probably miss miss a lot of breadth um, and so that's not as good as if you had a, a you know normal external internal penetration test still valuable just not quite as much as we'd like. 
so yeah, like John said, there's absolutely reasons to skip around this. Um, just sort of look, be aware where you're at, think about it, and uh, hopefully this will be helpful. So I guess the big foundational question that we promised we'd answer for you is like, what's, what's a red team here? Like what exactly is the process uh, of a red team? And personally, I, I don't know how much I can speak for the company here. John will have to back me up. But I think arguing about what a red team is in terms of the exact actions required to be a red team is, is silly. I don't think it makes any sense. I don't think it makes sense to argue about, oh, it's only a red team if you do it blind and also there's at least three testers and also it takes at least a month and you have to use custom developed tools. That's a red team. I think it's silly to argue about a red team in terms of what exact actions are gonna be taken. So in my opinion, a red team is something where you're going for depth. You're trying to find those extremes. Uh, you're trying to validate the prioritization of, uh, of an in-house security team. You're trying to validate their metrics and you're really going to develop their skills and try to make sure that they come out of this better than they went in and try to make sure that the blue team has that experience. Whatever does that, whatever achieves those goals, I think that's a red team. And I think uh, Nickerson had a really kind of drastic way of defining it, but I think it was a good good approach, is usually by the time you get to a red team, the external team that's doing that assessment wants to be successful at all costs. They want to find all the skeletons in the closet. They don't want to have a whole bunch of, well, you can't, you can't spearfish the C-Os. You can't spearfish the board of directors. You can't spearfish help desk because we know that that's going to be successful. It's basically yeah. trying to take as many of those exceptions off the table as possible. So it's a more accurate representation of what your organization looks like if a real threat actra actually comes against you. Absolutely. And uh, you know, there's clearly some things that you can't simulate, um, but as close as we can get with a red team to, to emulating that adversary, the better off I think you're going to be. Absolutely. So in summary, uh, that's what a red team is, and that's what the pen test pyramid of pain is. And hopefully this helped you out uh, in understanding sort of what types of tests are going to be really useful for you, no matter who you go to for them. Uh, people might use different words for this, but I think the concepts remain the same across probably the entire industry. Um, I haven't specifically checked literally every company, but you know, the terms might change, but I think the concepts are the same. Um, so if anyone has any questions, go ahead and uh, ping me with them, but hopefully this yeah, was helpful. Here we got a good one. Uh, the question was from FF. It's what do we have to do with all the colors? Why do we constantly have to revert the, the things as like red team and purple team? Um, it actually started originally in the Department of Defense. Specifically, whenever they would have a red team, they would try to look at any type of defensive asset in the terms of the Russians. And the Russians were usually referred to as the Reds. So you would have a red team. What would the Russians do if they encountered this type of radar? How would the Russians, what, how would they interact if they, um, if they encountered this type of stealth technology or whatever? So that was kind of the earliest incarnation that I can find. And I know that there's other people that have some other ones that I can find of a red team oh, we got uh, is anyone doing the stuff in an agile manner at the end of a sprint is there a ctf like exercise i don't think we see any customers that are actually doing it that way uh dakota do we i mean I've heard of it being done where basically yeah where basically you build pen tests into your your agile methodology i don't hmm. think we've had any customers who've come to us for help doing that kind of thing that sounds no, really cool uh, we do I, have customers that we test every quarter and we're doing a diff. So as they develop new technologies or they make ma major updates, then we do a test at that point. But that would be the closest. Um, also, we haven't talked about it 
but it's kind of important is uh, the idea of bug bounty programs. And for sure. many organizations, external facing, it would be at the bottom, right? It would be one of those foundational things where you have a bug bounty program for your web service that is exposed. And you have people yep. that are constantly doing assessments. And I know some people have a tremendous amount of success with that as well. Sure. I've also um, heard really good things about even just including um, malicious user stories in your agile cards that you're working on. Yeah. Um, just making sure that you know some of the cards in there is like, as a user, I want to blank. And then some of the other cards are, as an attacker, I want to blank. And making sure that those are also accounted for in your Agile process. I've heard really good things come out of that. Very true. All right, so Bob asked, what does Black Hills Information Security use for C2 and data exfiltration detection? That is Rita. Rita and AI Hunter are the two products that we use for detecting that. And uh, we have some webcasts on that where we have like a full hour dedicated to that. Uh, but check that out. Rita is free. You can stand it up and have it running in about, I would say, an hour or less. Uh, it's pretty easy. For detection on the other end, we use a whole variety of, of tools, some custom, oh, yeah. some off the shelf. We got a big spreadsheet that we use to make sure that we catch every corner case and exception there. It, it's kind of interesting. I think that we default to using Cobalt Strike because it's the easiest, right? I mean, if it works, great. And then we start modifying Cobalt Strike payloads heavily. Then we move into the land of actually creating our own backdoors. We also try things like just email. Can we email sensitive information out? Because if we can do that, why do we need malware? We don't. Um, yep. So we try to try to catch everything all along there. Netcat, um, can we just open up TCP connections? Absolutely, and there's there's a very practical reason why we do it that way. Um, I know there was somebody that was on Twitter the other day who said, if you use Cobalt Strike, you're not a real pen tester and you shouldn't feed those trolls. I mean, you shouldn't hang out with those people. Uh, but the reason why we would use things like Metasploit, Cobalt Strike, PowerShell Empire is because at the base level, if we burn an asset, right? So if I try Metasploit Meterpreter and it gets burnt, right? Well, okay, I'm out, no mm -hmm. development time, yep. like zero <laughs> development time. Move on to Cobalt Strike, it gets burnt zero development time, even though Mudge is going to modify it within the next few hours and get it so it works. But at any rate, we haven't burnt anything. And if we actually start moving into our deeper bag of tricks, um, I, I think we renamed Mole Rat. Um, if, yeah. we have, if we have to use some of our own custom implants at that point, that's the point we want to use those. You don't lead with that because it's very common that we have customers that'll take the malware we use. We had one just, what was it, last week? They wanted our malware. Uh, because yep. they wanted to send it to CrowdStrike and say, hey, CrowdStrike, you missed this. And I think that we're fine giving them like sub-tease blog posts and some of the things that we based it upon, but we're not giving them the actual implant because they're just going to simply write a signature for that. And that doesn't make things better at all. Malware is really expensive to make. Uh, yep. We have testers who put a lot of time time and sweat and blood and tears into it. And uh Getting it SIGged is just a pain in the neck, right? We can still have AV. There's a ton of, of webcasts we've done of, on that of just us getting around antivirus, but it takes time and effort. And if we're putting some effort into evading your antivirus, we're not testing your other security controls that you've got in place, um, as opposed to if we can just off the bat drop our custom malware. Oh, weird, it's not, not detected, strange. Now we can test your other security stuff. Oh, so TTPs. Uh, Dakota, have I told you about uh, Cisco and some of the people that are doing threat intelligence uh, write-ups, uh, TTPs, like, you know, tools, tactics, and procedures for the yep. different pen testing firms? Did I tell you about that? Oh, I think I heard that vaguely. Yeah, yeah, I heard so, that, like, secondhand. 
so all right so uh, i heard from somebody that works at cisco's threat team that they're starting to develop ttps for different pen testing firms like in guardians and specter ops and trusted sec and they're like well here's their tools they tend to use this is the way they're actually configured and i was a little bit hurt uh, because they were like weren't saying anything about bhis and i kind of asked him like well what do you guys have for bhis <laughs> and he goes oh god no no you guys are like a bunch of crack addled squirrels you guys aren't even using the same things consistently again and again and he yeah. said quote you'll start with cobalt strike and metasploit but then the next thing we know it's some kind of like custom golang executable that's like 40 lines and that's what you're using so you can't always trust ttps right that's one of the things that i i really like about us as a company is we can look a bit chaotic at times but i think that chaos is actually one of our biggest strengths because the testers each do their own research the testers each do their own tool development the testers all decide what they want to use it's not like John doesn't send us an email one day that's like, here's your Cobalt Strike license. Please use this on all tests going forward. Thank you, John. Right? Like we don't, well, we just don't see that. That's because you're all pains in the ass. If I say, here's a Cobalt Strike license, you guys should use it. All of three of you say, screw that. I'm writing all my malware in Python. And then Egypt would be like, Python, Ruby. Ruby's where it's at. And it just turns yep. into this like food fight. And I'd just rather it be that way. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being on. Thanks for listening. Are you enjoying these podcasts? We'd love if you could leave a review for us. And while you're at it, tell a friend. The best advertising is always word of mouth. Do you have other questions, comments? Email me, sierra at bhas.co. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks. You guys are like a bunch of crack-addled squirrels.